Here's a story from Australia you might have seen before the weekend, with at least one headline reading, Businesses respond coolly to the coronavirus SME guarantee scheme. Uh, in other words, coolly, I didn't know that that was spelt with two L's, is all about making sure that businesses survive. So the Australian federal government has uh, created this $40 billion scheme, which in essence allows banks to lend money up to $250,000 with the government guaranteeing half of that 50%. Perhaps not surprisingly, businesses haven't exactly been flocking to it. Out of the 40 billion, only, well, less than 2 billion has actually been dispersed. 17,000 business owners have had their loans approved. And Simon Littlewood and I are going to reflect on the virtues of taking on debt at this time. Simon, it looks like there seems to be a fairly clear reason for why these loans aren't flying off the shelf. As the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman Kate Carnell points out, businesses are simply reluctant to take on debt. I don't, know right? what, I don't know what the terms of this debt are, but even if the government guarantees 50% of the debt, in the, presumably in the event of non-repayment, the institution that lends the money will be required to use its best endeavours to collect the money that it's owed. So if I'm borrowing 100 bucks from a bank, albeit encouraged by the government, and I can't pay it, the bank will come after me. And only as a last resort will they go back to the government and say, okay, we want the 50% you guarantee because we haven't been able to collect the money. So in that sense, you know, interest rates and things like that aside, it's not going to feel to me as a small business owner much different from any other kind of borrowing, which is that at the end of the day, I'm responsible for it. And at the end of the day, I mean, it, no, one, no one's absolved from the consequences of not repaying it, are they? Um, you know, the, the credit, work, credit rating consequences, the possible insolvency consequences, I, I don't know. The scheme seems to be very much targeted at banks that are too scared to loan to SMEs. Yeah. Because the money isn't going to the government, uh, sorry, from the government to the SME. The money would be going to the banks yeah. to, to guarantee a loan. The banks obviously have certain guidelines, certain standards by which they decide whether or not somebody gets a loan. So presumably, unless they lower those standards. Um, the main standard is capital adequacy ratio, which is, yes. that, which is that if you expand your risk by, by but, you know, if the borrowing that you, under, you undertake has a higher relative risk than previous borrowing, you have to allocate more capital to that tranche of borrowing because of the likelihood of non-repayment. I don't know, and one of the problems has been over the last few years, and most recently with COVID, that where governments have push banks to lend more money, banks are bound, irrespective of what the government says, banks are bound by certain requirements. Sometimes they're global requirements, sometimes they're, you know, if it's an international bank, they will be bound by certain capital ad adequacy ratio requirements. They and they can't just suddenly decide, and they have specific criteria that you have to meet in order to borrow money. You try persuading a banker that he should tear up that form and lend you money anyway, you know? Because <laughs> you and I have talked about this. A significant percentage of SMEs don't get these loans that they apply to because they simply can't meet bank, bank criteria. And with the best will in the world, even if the government says, well, if, if, if push comes to shove and you don't get repaid, we'll guarantee 50%. Do banks really want that kind of business? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, these aren't huge loans. They're relatively small in banking terms, right? Mm. Um, and they're going, they would go into it on the basis that the probability of non-payment is much higher than with other types of loan. I mean, clearly, because the government would not be guaranteeing 50% if that were not the case. So I, I, I would not be surprised that a lender would be 
They'd want to keep the government happy. After all, they are licensed by the government. But at the end of the day, are they going to want to significantly increase a tranche of lending where the probability of non-repayment or non-payment in full is increased? Um, banks are very averse to risk, you know, and uh, it's not. I wonder whether it's really the role of banks to be doing this. I don't mean from a, you know from a political perspective. I mean from an economic perspective. Well, I, I suppose at the end of the day, the, the companies do need money. There is an argument that that money that the government has allocated should just be paid out to SMEs, but that then also causes another problem, that you have all these zombie companies that are just dependent on government handouts. If I, the US did something like that, they said there's federal money, here's federal money, go get it, yeah? Um, although there, we, there when we talked about it, you know, a lot of people were not aware of it, and because they had to, de to delegate it at local level to different intermediaries, it was quite poorly managed in some cases, you know? It becomes very complicated the more people you involve. I think there's one other point which, um, taking again the perspective of, of the banker, because of this capital adequacy issue, you know, I can only learn, lend a certain amount of money in total based on what my core capital is. Um, and to the extent that I lend money to somebody that is a risk, that diminishes, because the envelope only has a certain size, that diminishes my ability to lend money at a lower risk to other people. So as the percentage of my portfolio that is high risk grows, my ability to lend to lower risk customers who probably offer better returns anyway uh, diminishes so it's doubly unattractive for, for banks mm. yeah, yeah let's uh, end by just talking about this whole concept of taking on debt at this time how many businesses are actually in a position to say i'm going to expand or i'm going to invest in new equipment or new vehicles for my fleet or whatever the whatever the money is going to go towards, and therefore I'm going to take out a loan to finance that. Is now really the right time to be taking on that sort of debt? Well, my advice to CEOs, and we talked about that earlier, uh, is where there are automation opportunities um, through, through digital um, capabilities or whatever, uh, it's worth investing, where there is gonna be a, a very, because, the fact that many apps can now be procured from the cloud. So, so, so 10 years ago, when you wanted to buy a new computer application, it was very complicated because typically software had to be in a, in a server somewhere either in your premises or someone else, and it was very complicated. You had to invest in hardware and so on and so forth. Now you can get really some quite good apps, uh, access to apps uh, in the cloud quickly and relatively cheaply. If, you, if those apps can be shown to have an immediate impact on your operating costs, on your ability to improve relations with customers, so a solid CRM capability, for example, then I think there might be an argument for funding uh, some of that. But that's that's OPEX, that's not really CAPEX, right? I mean, we're not talking about working capital loans. No, it's, it's it? uh, well, it's CAPEX. I mean, it, uh, depends. it, it seems... Well, it isn't. I mean, if you're paying for it on a monthly basis, first of all, chances are you're paying very, very little for yeah, it. Yeah, there's probably an acquisition cost which could be capitalized at the front. I don't know. I don't know how these contracts work. Um, but you nonetheless, you still might need to borrow money in order to be able to spend it because it's, you know, it's, it's an additional expenditure that you'd not budgeted for. Uh, so, so, so spend money on stuff that's going to give you sustainable improvement. Don't spend money on stuff that's going to get you through a short-term crisis is the, is the bottom line. Because the crisis, if the crisis doesn't go away, you still have the crisis, except you've got a whole pile more money that you owe. I mean, that, that's one of the problems with that SMEs struggle from is that, is that they tend to exist hand to mouth. We know at the beginning of this crisis, we looked at data which said that SMEs, 
for the most part, had two months or less uh, you know, of reserve capital, meaning that um, they have no margin for error, really. Um, so, um, yeah, so. So the bottom line is uh, you would want to invest in CapEx type loans, really, if you only had a very strong business case for it. Otherwise, stay away from debt. Um, I'd be very cautious about that. I mean, it depends whether you have a sustainable business model. I mean, we need to differentiate, and I showed you a model earlier. We need to differentiate between businesses that are, you know, one, aren't going to make it and need to basically fold up their tent. Two, businesses that have a defensible core, which is where they're going to be able to keep enough revenue coming in to keep, a, to keep the lights on. But if, if they're serious about that, they need quickly to move to that core, shed non-profitable business, reduce channel costs, reduce, uh, reduce all their operating costs, including people costs, to a level where that becomes a sustainable model. But there will be a minority of businesses that can grow. And the, the simple reason for that is that some of the businesses that are folding are walking away from bits of the market where they can't compete any longer because, they, because they're, 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 their establishment costs are too great. They, they've grown and they don't have the flexibility to, to, to reduce those costs. So you've got business out there. If you can cleverly acquire business from competitors or think of adjacencies, there are definitely opportunities. We, you know, we, we know of businesses that have been able to expand in the current crisis, yeah? It's a tiny minority, you know, the data, 17%, the data, based on the last financial crisis in 2008 and 9, approximately 17%, this is listed companies, 17% of listed companies were able to demonstrate a significant improvement in earnings and shareholder value through and beyond the crisis. Um, there's no reason for thinking that those data will be any different in the current crisis. It's actually 80-20 rule. It's, you know, nearly 20% of businesses will get 80% of the economic advantage from coming out. And they'll get that from picking up business that other businesses are no longer able to support because they've allowed themselves to run out of cash or got into a mess and potentially adjacencies, you know, an obvious, an, an obvious new opportunities. Anything that's virtual, given the rapid way that businesses have been led into the virtual world, um, is a huge opportunity for businesses that can find a way to do what they've traditionally done in a particular face-to-face -face way, to do it virtually, whatever it is, you know, whether it's deliver the good or the service, the ordering part of their business, the promotional part of their business, the sales part of their business, um, so not just the internal part, which everyone's kind of doing anyway, but the, but the supplier-facing part, the market-facing part. Um, there's still huge opportunities there, uh, you know. On that positive note, thank you very much, okay. Simon Littlewood.